Blog Talk Radio. All right, sports fans, how's everybody out there doing? William Martin coming at you one more time here on blogtalkradio.com with another edition of the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge Show. As always, I want to take this time out to thank all of you fine folks out there for tuning in this evening. And as always, the guest call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. And on this wonderful evening of October 15th, 2017, I can gladly once again tell the world that Miss Runner's baby boy is back on the air. Now, week number six in the 2017 NFL season was full of surprises all up and down the board. And I want to start off with one of the biggest surprises today, which took place when the 4-1 and one Green Bay Packers traveled to take on the 3-2 and two Minnesota Vikings in an NFC North battle. Excuse me. Now, early on in this game, the Vikings struck, pardon me, in the second quarter uh, when they uh, got the first game's first touchdown when quarterback Case Keenum found Jarek McKinnon on a 27-yard pass to make it 7 to nothing in favor of Minnesota. However, this aspect of the game was overshadowed a little bit as early on in this contest, Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers was slammed to the mat, or pardon me, to the ground, rather, because it was almost like a wrestling move, uh, by Vikings linebacker Anthony Barr. And Rodgers wasn't too pleased about the hit. And, you know, he had some choice words for Barr as he was carted off of the field. And subsequently it was found out that uh, Rodgers suffered a broken collarbone, and there is a possibility that he will miss the remainder of the season. So the Packers then had to turn to a youngster at quarterback in Brett Hundley. After the Vikings had scored to make it 7 to nothing, Green Bay was able to rally, and they put together a quick drive, which was capped off by Hundley finding wide receiver Devontae Adams from 14 yards out to knock the score at 7 apiece. Their score remained that way, and on the Vikings' ensuing drive, they were able to put together a quick eight-play, 84-yard drive, which was capped off by a three-yard run from Jarek McKinnon to put them back in front by the score of 14-7. to Now, just before the first half ended, Green Bay got down in the scoring position actually inside of the five-yard line, and some questionable play calling did not see them get a touchdown, and they had to settle for a Mason Crosby field goal to make it 14-10. to Now, the Vikings were able to extend their lead early on in the third quarter after a Kai Forbath field goal to make it 17 to 10. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this, from this point out, it was just the Vikings defense that really put the clamps down on this Green Bay offense. And Minnesota would go on to win at home this afternoon by the score of 23 to 10. And you look inside of the numbers. And like I said, once Rodgers went out of this game, the dynamic of the Packers offense changed. Green Bay was only 4 of 17 on third down this afternoon while they committed eight penalties, 
for 92 yards. That Packers running game was not there. Brett Hundley was okay considering what he had to deal with as he was 18 to 33 passing for a buck 57 with a one touchdown pass, three interceptions. And of course he was sacked four times. Case Keenum on the other, on the other side was 24 of 38 passing for 239 with a TD and a pick while Minnesota as a team had 112 yards on the ground. But this Packers secondary simply had no answer for Vikings wide receiver, Adam Thielen all afternoon long as he got them for nine receptions for 97 yards. But the biggest thing going forward from Green Bay is this. You simply don't replace Aaron Rodgers. We saw the Packers a few years ago have the ability to find a way to make the postseason in spite of the fact that Aaron Rodgers did have a clavicle injury. And it was a situation Nobody in the eight, in the NFC North that year was really able to step up and take advantage of the fact that Rodgers was out. And Rodgers came back for week 17, and it was a winning in situation for the winner of that contest between the Packers and the Bears. And Green Bay, led by Rodgers, was able to go on the road at Soldier Field and defeat those Chicago Bears. This kind of has the, that same feel to it just due to the fact that I don't see anybody running away with this NFC North. So because of that, the whole dynamic of this changes. But at the same time, number one, if you're Green Bay, you have to be hopeful that at some point you can get Rodgers back this season. Number two, is Brett Hundley the guy to keep the seat warm? And number three, Everybody else on that Packers team has a step up, which means you've got to have a lights-out defense. Your wide receivers, such as Jordy Nelson and Devontae Adams, they have to be on point in order to bail out the youngster, Ain Hunley. So that is going to be the million-dollar question for the Packers going forward. Now, getting back to the hit, I think that Mr. Barr is going to be a little bit lighter in his wallet this week courtesy of the National Football League. And for my money, it's not just that Aaron Rodgers was a star player, because I I really don't think that has anything to do with it. But once you look at the play, clearly Rodgers got the ball out. Clearly there was enough time for Barr to slow up. I'm not saying that he didn't have to contact Rodgers. He could have given him a push, could have given him a little, little love tap and kept it moving. But the fact that Rodgers had clearly gotten the ball out and he still took it upon himself to slam him into the into the ground. And also, there wasn't a penalty called on that play. That is a problem with that play. So, if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I'm annoyed right now. If I'm and if I'm the Green Bay Packers, I am annoyed as well. But that, there was no place for that for that hit by Anthony Barr. And now the total dynamic of the Packers season has changed for that. On the flip side, for the Minnesota Vikings, they were able to take advantage of that and got they got themselves a big win, and more importantly, a win within the division. And if you look at the Vikings this season, it has not been pretty in any way, shape, or form. But the bottom line is, pretty, like I always say, pretty does not matter in the National Football League. Now, you look ahead to week number seven, and Minnesota will be at home once again, this time to take on the Baltimore Ravens, while Green Bay will find themselves at home to take on the New Orleans Saints. 
Now, when you think about the Hatfields and the McCoys of the National Football League, it really does not get any better than the New York Jets and the New England Patriots. And this rivalry goes back a long time. I mean, both of these teams were in the American Football League. And granted, Boston and New York, they're very close in proximity, but they really didn't have that rivalry. Really didn't get it going in the 70s in the NFL because both of them were bad for the most part. And it kind of picked up in the in the mid-80s when both of these teams met in the postseason. And, of course, <clears throat> excuse me, the Patriots defeated the Jets in 1985 in the AFC wildcard game in route to their first AFC championship. But this thing's really picked up in the mid-90s, of course, when Bill Parcells was the head coach of the Patriots and he left them to become the head coach of the Jets. We saw Bill Belichick take over for Parcells with the Jets for a day, and then he decided to leave and join the Patriots. And ever since then, you know, there's been no love lost. We've seen a lot of back and forth between players on each side. We've seen a very heated rivalry in the postseason between these two teams. And typically when the Jets play the Patriots, you are always in store for a very physical and hard affair. That was no different this afternoon at MetLife Stadium between these two rivals and things got going when the Jets took the opening kickoff and they were able to march down the field on a 13 play 88 yard drive which ate up nearly six minutes of game clock and this drive ended when Jets quarterback Josh McCown found tight end Austin Severian Jenkins remember that lane name later on a one yard pass to give the J-E-T-S Jets 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 the early one to nothing, pardon me, seven to nothing lead. Now, in the second quarter, early on, the Jets were able to put together a seven play, 78 yard drive. And this time around, McCown found wide receiver Jeremy Curley from 31 yards out to give the Jets the 14 to nothing advantage. However, you knew that New England was going to be game, and you knew that New England was going to have a comeback in their repertoire. And later in the second quarter, the Pats were able to put together a nine-play, 93-yard drive, which was aided by a pass interference call on rookie safety Jamal Adams versus Pats tight end Rob Gronkowski. And running back Deion Lewis would punch it in from a yard out to cut the uh, Jets' lead in half at 14-7. to Now, this game, for my money, really changed late in the first half. The Jets had an opportunity to at least get a field goal and extend their lead to 10. However, McCown was picked off by Patriots cornerback Malcolm Butler, and the Patriots, instead of just being able to settle for a field goal, they were able to get themselves in touchdown uh, scoring position when Brady found wide receiver Brandon Cooks on a deep pass, and right after that, he found tight end Rob Gronkowski from two yards out, and just before the first half ended, the Pats now found themselves tied with the Jets at 14 apiece. New England then took the opening kickoff of the second half, and marched down the field on an eight-play, 75-yard drive, which culminated when Brady found Tom, uh, um, pardon me, Rob Gronkowski on a 33-yard touchdown pass to give them their first lead of the contest at 21 to 14. Now, late in this contest, one of the most controversial calls in the NFL for the season occurred. The Jets were driving, and it appeared that the Jets were ready to tie this game up when Austin Safarian Jenkins was all but set to go into the end zone and Malcolm Butler was able to strip the ball, Safarian Jenkins was able able to regain possession of the ball. 
However, the officials claimed that he gained possession out of bounds, and instead of the Jets getting a touchdown to tie the game, the the play was ruled as a touchback, and New England would get the football on the 25-yard line. Now, the Patriots' offense was unable to seal the deal, and they had to give the football back to the Jets. However, the Patriots' defense would be able to step up at this point, and New England would escape this afternoon with the 24-17 to victory. And you look inside of the numbers, it wasn't a great day for Tom Brady as he was 20 of 38 passing for 257 yards with two touchdowns and a pick, while his counterpart Josh McCown was 31 of 47 passing for 354 yards or two TDs and two interceptions while he was sacked four times. Brandon Cook stepped up today for the Pats with six receptions for 93 yards, while Rob Gronkowski had six receptions for 83 yards and two touchdown grabs. And you look at this contest, and what can you say? The Jets, I know that a lot of people, excuse me, are going to look back and they are going to talk about that one play. First off, that was a tough call, but if you look at it over and over and over again, the officials did get it right. Safarian Jenkins did lose possession, and by the time that he got the ball back, he was out of bounds. And by rule, that is a touchback. But I think what is lost in the shuffle of that play is the hustle of Malcolm Butler. And you can say whatever you want about the Super Bowl, but the bottom line is when guys consistently find themselves around the ball in these situations, that's because they are a good player. And typically, Bill Belichick has become the head coach of the Patriots. We see them on the right side of these plays more often than not. You go back to the 2006 AFC Divisional Playoff win for the Patriots over the San Diego Chargers, where the Chargers had that game won after Brady was intercepted by Marlon McCree. But it was a hustling Troy Brown who forced the ball out to force the fumble, and the Patriots recovered, and of course, the rest is history. The New England Patriots always find guys and they always find ways to win these games and why it is their mentality, plain and simple, whatever it takes. Now, aside from that play, the Jets had several opportunities to put the Patriots away early. They were up 14 to nothing. New England's offense was struggling, and they could not take advantage of it. And even though that the Jets dominated the first half, they went to the locker room at the half tied. And then, you know, New England is probably one of the better teams at doing this. They score just before the half ends. They get the ball to start the second half, and they score again. So basically, you know, after being down uh, 14 to nothing, New England was able to go on a 24 to nothing run, and it really changed things, and it changed the dynamic of this game. And, I mean, that's what good teams do. So, you know, the Jets – They've been fighting hard for head coach Todd Bowles. I mean, this was a team that lost their first two games, and after they were blown out in week number two versus the Oakland Raiders, a lot of people were talking about this team going winless. And the Jets have shown a tremendous amount of fight. They're 3-3, three and three, and they very easily could have been 4-2 and two this afternoon. However, we saw the difference between a team that is still trying to figure it out and a team that knows what they want to do. Now, for the Patriots, you know, they are still a work in progress, but it's easier to be a work in progress once you're getting those wins. And, you know, things could will be looking up for this team as 
I keep telling people they have yet to get their sea legs. And once New England does get their sea legs, look out. Now, you look ahead to week number seven for both of these teams and for the Patriots, it will be a rematch of Super Bowl number 51 when they host the Atlanta Falcons this Sunday night while the Jets will be on the road to take on another AFC East foe, this time in the Miami Dolphins. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626 231-0309. Now, in the heartland today, you had the undefeated and the last undefeated uh, team in the NFL and the Kansas City Chiefs taking on the 3-2 and two Pittsburgh Steelers. And Pittsburgh got embarrassed at home last week, courtesy of the Jacksonville Jaguars, who ran all up and down the field on them. And you know that Pittsburgh, the proud Pittsburgh Steelers, were going to come back and look to get back on the right foot. Now the scoring got going midway through the first quarter when a bad snap from chief center Zach Fulton went over the head of quarterback Alex Smith and out of the end zone for a safety. However, there was a little bit of trickery on the ensuing free kick when nobody from the Steelers fielded the ball and it was recovered by Kansas City and it set up Harrison Butker's 46-yard field goal to give the Chiefs the 3 to 2 lead. However, the Pittsburgh Steelers today played with a different physicality. And it's, this drive started late in the first quarter and it continued early in the, in the second. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this was a 12-play, 75-yard drive, which ate up nearly six and a half minutes worth of game clock. And it was capped off by a three-yard run from Le'Veon Bell to give Pittsburgh the 9-3 to lead. Pittsburgh would take a 12-3 lead to the half, and it will remain that way heading into the fourth quarter. Now, midway through the fourth quarter, Kansas City's offense was finally able to get going when Alex Smith connected with DeAnthony Thomas on a 57-yard reception to make it 12-10. to 10. And it looked like Kansas City was about to get a turnover and, and be in position to take the lead. However, it was a tip ball. It was picked up by Steelers wide receiver Antonio Brown, and he outran the Chiefs secondary 51 yards for a touchdown to make it 19 to 10. Butker would make his second field goal of the game to make it 19 to 13. Pittsburgh's offense was unable to put the contest away, giving the football back to this Chiefs offense. However, Pittsburgh Pittsburgh's defense was up for the challenge this afternoon as they shut down Kansas City's offense, and Pittsburgh were going to win this contest today by the score of 19 to 13 and you look inside of the numbers the Steelers held the football today for more than 36 and a half minutes that's number one number two Pittsburgh had 439 yards of total offense to just 251 for the Chiefs there was a lot of balance for Pittsburgh today as Big Ben was 17 of 25 passing for 252 yards with the TD and a pick while Le'Veon Bell had 32 carries for a buck 79, and credit to the Steelers' defense because they took away Kansas City's running attack as the Chiefs were limited to just 28 yards on the ground, and they had to rely on Alex Smith beating them with his arm. And Smith was 19 of 34 passing for 246 yards with a TD while he was sacked three times by the Steelers' defense. And it wasn't just the Chiefs' running game 
that the Steelers' defense was able to take away. As Travis Kelsey, their all-pro tight end, only had four grabs today for 37 yards. But Antonio Brown stepped up with a big game for Pittsburgh as he had eight receptions for a buck 55 with that TD, while Vince Williams chipped in with a pair of sacks on the defensive side of the ball. And for the Steelers, this was a Steelers-type win because we saw it a few weeks ago when Pittsburgh got back on track versus Baltimore, but then they came back last week. They laid that egg to the ball uh, at home to the Jacksonville Jaguars. They could not stop Leonard Fournette. And then Big Ben threw five interceptions. And there was a different physicality and a different mentality about this Pittsburgh Steelers team when they took the field today. And this this is why I called it my upset pick of the week because I knew that Pittsburgh wanted to get back to basics. They needed more balance. They needed to run the football. And they played angry in every aspect of the word. And I think Mike Tomlin is one of the better coaches in the NFL when it comes to recovering from a loss. And last week was an embarrassment for the Steelers. There's absolutely no way around it. They were embarrassed. So for them to get back on track and be as nasty as they were today, that was huge. Now, with that said, Pittsburgh has to find a way to maintain this, and they have to be consistent. And if you're Kansas City, the Steelers simply have your number right now. That's the only way to say it. And the possibility is there that these two teams could meet in the postseason. And if they do, Kansas City needs to figure something out because right now the Steelers simply do not fear this club. Now, you look ahead to week number seven, it's going to be a short week for the Chiefs as they're going to be on a road this Thursday night to take on the Oakland Raiders. While for Pittsburgh, they will find themselves next Sunday afternoon at home versus the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, today it was a 2-2 two and two Miami Dolphins traveling to Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta to take on a 3-1 and one Atlanta Falcons. And early on, Atlanta dominated this game. It was 3-0 in favor of the Falcons late in the first quarter when quarterback Matt Ryan found Marvin Hill from 40 yards out to give Atlanta the 10 to nothing advantage. And this capped off a nine-play, 90-yard drive. Midway through the second quarter, running back Tevin Coleman punched it in from six yards out, and Atlanta was able to extend their lead to 17 to nothing, and it looked like they were on their road to Easy Street. But you remember Super Bowl 51? This Falcons team has shown that they do not <coughs> excuse me, know how to hold a lead. And midway through the third quarter, this Dolphins offense finally woke up as quarterback Jay Cutler found wide receiver Kenny Stills from 11 yards out to make it 17-7. to And just before the third quarter ended, Cutler found wide receiver Jarvis Landry coming out of the backfield on a seven-yard swing pass to make it 17-14. to A couple of Cody Parkey field goals in the fourth quarter would give Miami their first lead of the game. And Atlanta was driving to win the contest when a tip pass ended up in the hands of Dolphins safety Deion Jones, who returned the possession to the Dolphins. They were able to run out the clock. And Miami went on the road this afternoon and got themselves the much-needed 20-17 victory. And you look inside of the numbers, 
wasn't pretty for Jay Cutler, the Dolphins quarterback, as he was 19 of 33 passing for a buck 51 with two TDs and a pick. But the biggest thing for Miami was the fact that they were able to effectively run the football today as Jay Ajayi had 26 carries for a buck 30. On the flip side for the Falcons, quarterback Matt Ryan was 24 of 35 passing for 248 yards with a TD and a pick, while he was also sacked uh, twice by this Dolphins defense. And I'll tell you like this. First and foremost for the Falcons, they are 3-2, and two, and it could easily be a lot worse for them this season. You go back to week number one versus the Bears, and if the Bears really – had been able to catch the football on their last drive, the Falcons lose that game. And I didn't want to say it because it looked like at times that Atlanta was going to have the ability to rise above it. But at this point, I have to call it what it is. This is a Super Bowl hangover. And the Falcons still have that hangover from Super Bowl 51. And what hurt Atlanta in that game? They went away from Devonta Freeman at running back, who was averaging nearly seven yards per carry against the Patriots in that game. Today, Devonta Freeman had 68 yards on just nine carries. Atlanta ran the ball 19 times compared to throwing it 35 times. That is why you're losing these leads, is because you go away from what is effective and that is running the football. Now, on the flip side, for the Dolphins, you have an ineffective quarterback in Jay Cutler. What do you do? You run the football. Miami had 33 pass attempts today compared to 31 rushes. That's balance. That's how you're going to win when you have a struggling quarterback. Listen, Matt Ryan is good. I'm not going to take that away from him. But at the same time, you can't sit back there and just simply rely on this guy and his right arm. You can't do it, especially when you have a running back like Devonta Freeman who can go out there and be as effective as he is. So I want to categorize this as simply being cute if you are the Atlanta Falcons, and I don't know what it's going to take for them to learn because had they been able to run the football – In February, we're talking about this team as the defending Super Bowl champions. But since they got cute, they lost that game. And since they keep on getting cute, they're going to keep losing games and they're going to throw away their opportunity to try to get back to the Super Bowl. But if you're the Dolphins, and like I said, Jay Cutler has been struggling, and there are some people that are ready to run him out of town, maybe, just maybe, the Dolphins were able to find their formula for success today, and they have to find a, find a way to stick with it as far as running this football with Jay Ajayi. I mean, this team did start off slow last year, and they were able to pick it up. So hopefully that could be their formula to get back on track here in 2017. Now you look ahead to week number seven for both of these clubs. And for Miami, they will be at home to take on the New York Jets, while the Falcons will find themselves on the road in a Super Bowl rematch versus the New England Patriots. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, 
typically when the New Orleans Saints are at home, they are one of the highest scoring teams in the NFL. And when you looked at the final score today, you would have thought that this was an offensive shootout, but that was not the case when the 2-2 two and two New Orleans Saints hosted the 3-2 and two Detroit Lions. And it was the Saints defense that got the scoring going early on in the first quarter when safety Kenny Vaccaro recovered a fumble in the end zone to give New Orleans the early 7 to nothing advantage. Now Detroit would come right back and respond with a seven-play, 75-yard drive, which was capped off when quarterback Matthew Stafford connected with wide receiver Golden Tate from 45 yards out to not the score at seven apiece. But this Lions defense could not stop the Saints' offense on their next possession as New Orleans was able to put together a quick four-play 75-yard drive, which was capped off when quarterback Drew Brees found wide receiver Ted Ginn Jr. from 20 yards out to give New Orleans the 14-7 to advantage. Now, after one quarter of play, it was 17-7 to in favor of New Orleans. Their offense got going again as early on in the second quarter. Running back Mark Ingram scored on a one-yard run to put them up 24-7. to Now, it was 24-10 to late in the second quarter when Ingram scored again, this time from two yards out, and this capped off an 11-play, 75-yard drive as New Orleans was clearly in control heading to the dressing room by the score of 31-10. to Now, the Saints would continue to pile it on as early on in the third quarter, Drew Brees connected with tight end Michael Humano Wanaui from two yards out to extend their lead to 38-10. to And midway through the third quarter, it looked like it was going to be all over except for the shouting when Stafford was picked off by Marshawn Lattimore, who returned at 27 yards for the TD to give New Orleans the 45-10 to lead. However, the Lions were game, and they would not give up. As on their next possession, Matthew Stafford found wide receiver Marvin Jones Jr. for 22 yards out to make it 45-17. to And just before the third quarter ended, Stafford connected with tight end Darren Fells from 22 yards out to make it 45-24. Now, early on in the fourth quarter, Jamal Agnew returned a punt for Detroit 74 yards to make it 45-31. to And all of a sudden, the game that seemed – to be on easy street on the big e- in the big easy for New Orleans was all of a sudden a contest at 45 to 31. Now midway through the fo- through the fourth quarter, after a Lions punt pinned the Saints deep in, uh, in their own territory, Drew Brees was picked off by rookie defensive tackle Ashawn Robinson, who returned it two yards to make it 45 to 38. However, later on in the fourth quarter. This time with the Lions with their backs against their own end zone. Stafford was picked off by Saints defensive lineman Cameron Jordan in the end zone to make it 52-38. to And that will go on to be the final score today as New Orleans would win. And for the first time since 2013, this late in the season, the Saints find themselves over 500. This was a turnover-filled game as we had a combined eight turnovers between these two clubs. And on top of that, this probably has to be a record because there were four defensive touchdowns today. That is something that you simply uh, just don't see. But that was the case today. Matt Stafford, you know, obviously 
you, you fall behind that much so early, you're going to throw a lot. As he was 25 or 52 passing for 312 yards or three TDs and three picks, and he was also sacked five times by the Saints defense. Now, Drew Brees did not have to pass as much today due to the fact that the defense really stepped up and the Saints were also able to run the football effectively as Mark Ingram had 114 yards or 25 carries while Alvin Kamara had 75 yards on 10 carries. But you look at this game, and for the Saints, I think this is big because you go back everything that happened this week with the trade of running back Adrian Peterson to the Arizona Cardinals. And, you know, New Orleans, I think, was able to set a tone by going out there and they were able to run the football effectively with both Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara. But then I look at their defense and how they have stepped up in recent weeks because, remember, the Saints were 0-2 and it was looking bad because they couldn't stop anybody. But now they have really been able to turn it on. And in turning it on, this team looks like a contender in the NFC South right now. And, I mean, for the Lions, it's very tough to put yourself in a 35-point hole and try to come back. And, I mean, they came back and they made a game of it, and I will give them all of the credit in the world. And I think that's a credit to their head coach and Jim Caldwell. But it's very tough to put yourself in that type of hole and bounce back in the NFL. Now, looking ahead to next week, Detroit will head into their bye, while New Orleans will find themselves on the road next Sunday afternoon to take on the Green Bay Packers. Now, in the desert, you had the 2-3 and three Arizona Cardinals hosting the 2-2 two and two Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and of course, this was the debut for Adrian Peterson at running back for the Cardinals after he was acquired from the New Orleans Saints midweek. And the Arizona Cardinals had a different feel to them. They took the opening kickoff. They marched down the field on a six-play, 75-yard drive. And this drive was capped off when Adrian Peterson scored on a 27-yard touchdown run to give them the 7 to nothing advantage. Later on in the first quarter, Arizona was able to put together a seven-play, 86-yard drive which is capped off when Carson Palmer connected with Troy Nicholas from 14 yards out to make it 14 to nothing. Now, early in the second quarter, Palmer would find veteran wide receiver Larry Fitzgerald from 11 yards out, and at this point, Arizona was pouring it on to make it 21 to nothing. This game changed when the Bucks lost their phenomenal young quarterback in Jameis Winston, and he was replaced by veteran Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, it was 24 to nothing in favor of the Birds at the half, and it looked like this game was going to be over as they took the opening kickoff of the second half and marched down the field, and Palmer connected with wide receiver John Brown from 17 yards out, and at this point, Arizona was up by the score of 31 to nothing. However, with Ryan Fitzpatrick under center, Tampa Bay would begin to chip away, and on their ensuing drive, Fitzpatrick connected with wide receiver Deshaun Jackson from four yards out to make it 31-6, to six, and the, uh, the failed two-point conversion would mean that the score would remain that way, and be, this would come back to haunt Tampa Bay later on in this contest. Now, going to the fourth, it was still 31-6, to six, and early on, Fitzpatrick would connect with tight end Cameron Brait from 10 yards out to make it 31-12. to 12. 
And because they had failed for the two-point conversion before, they tried to go for it again and missed. And this time they were down 31-12. to Now, Levante David would pick up a fumble right after this and return it 21 yards for the score to make it 31-18. to And this time Tampa Bay would have a successful two-point conversion as they were able to punch it in on a two-yard run from Doug Martin to make it 31-20. to However, Arizona was up for the challenge, and they went back to the basics as an interception put them in prime position to score, and Adrian Peterson punched it in from a yard out midway through the fourth quarter to give them the 38-20 to lead. Arizona, pardon me, Tampa Bay would continue to fight, scrap, and claw as with just over three minutes left in this contest, Doug Martin was scoring a one-yard run to make it 38-26. to Once again, Tampa would fail on their two-point conversion. And after recovering an onside kick, Tampa would get the ball back, and Fitzpatrick would find Mike Evans from 37 yards out to make it 38-33. to However, from that point on, uh, Tampa Bay would go for the onside kick again. This time, Larry Fitzgerald would recover, and the Cardinals would go on to win this contest today by the score of 38 to 33. Now, in relief of Jameis Winston, Ryan Fitzpatrick was 22 of 32 passing for 290 yards with three TDs and two picks. Carson Palmer had a very efficient afternoon today for the Birds as he was 18 of 22 passing for 283 yards with three TDs and a pick while he was sacked uh, twice. But I think the man of the hour in this contest had to be Adrian Peterson as he had 26 carries for a buck 34 with two TDs. And he inspired another future Hall of Famer on offense with him in one Larry Fitzgerald who had 10 receptions for a buck 38 and a touchdown grab. And I'll tell you like this. I said it before and I'll say it again. I thought that it was a mistake for Adrian Peterson to sign with the Saints because I didn't think he really fit their offense. I thought there were better teams for him to sign with. And in just a week, you know, he had a minimal, you know, knowledge of the playbook for what the Cardinals were running. And he went out there and he did what he had to do, and he was effective. And I keep I, I keep telling people that Adrian Peterson is not done. This guy still has something left in the tank, and he has more than a little something left in the tank. And he showed this afternoon, this guy is still a feature back. <clears throat> I think, excuse me, I think he is a motivated Adrian Peterson right now. And I think that is good. And I think he's on a team that is committed to him and committed to running the football. And this was an attitude game for the Arizona Cardinals, especially in the first half, because they came out and they established a physicality on both sides of the ball. Number one with Adrian Peterson. Number two, you take out the opposing team's quarterback. So, obviously, you are, you, you're out there and you're attempting to make a statement. And that's what this was for the Arizona Cardinals. Now, on the flip side for the Bucks, it's tough to fall, like I just said about the Lions, it's tough to fall behind so big on the road and be able to come back and win. And they put themselves in such, that, in such a big hole, it just made it tough for them. And they fought, scrapped, and clawed, but, you know, they simply ran out of time. Now, you look ahead to week number seven for both of these teams, Tampa Bay will be on the road to face the Buffalo Bills, while Arizona will find themselves in England to take on the Los Angeles Rams. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309.
Now, in the Bay Area, you had the 1-4 Los Angeles Chargers taking on the 2-3 and three Oakland Raiders. And for the Raiders, this game had a different feel to it because they had their starting quarterback, Derek Carr, under center once again. And in the first quarter, Oakland would get the scoring going as they put together an 11-play, 62-yard drive, which is capped off when Carr connected with wide receiver Michael Crabtree from 23 yards out to give the Raiders the 7 to nothing lead. However, late in the second quarter, the Chargers put together a 15-play, 82-yard drive, and they capped it off with a one-yard run from running back Melvin Gordon to tie the score at seven apiece. But just as the first half ended, Giorgio Tavecchio connected from 44 yards out for the Raiders to give them the 10-7 lead at the half. Now, it would be scoreless in the third quarter, and early on in the fourth, Los Angeles would get their first lead of the game as they put together a 10-play 59-yard drive, which was capped off when quarterback Phillip Rivers found Gordon from six yards out to make it 14-10. to Now, midway through the fourth quarter, Raiders wide receiver Cordero Patterson would score on a 47-yard run to make it 16-14, to and that would be huge because Tavecchio would miss the extra point, and that loomed big. Why? Because the Chargers put together an 11-play 78-yard drive, and as time expired, Nick Novak connected from 32 yards out to give the Chargers the 17 to 16 win and you look inside of the numbers for this contest Philip Rivers was 25 of 36 passing for 268 yards with the TD and no picks while LA was able to garner 83 yards on the ground today from one Melvin Gordon tight end Hunter Hunter Henry is beginning to come into his own as he had five grabs today for 90 yards while Hayes Pullard the third had 10 tackles for the Chargers. And of course, this was the first game back for Carr. He was 21 of 30 passing for a buck 71 with a TD and a pick, while Marshawn Lynch did have 63 yards on 13 carries. But this is beginning to slip away from the Raiders. They were 2 and 0. They lost to the Redskins. They, you know, Carr got injured versus the Denver Broncos, and that really changed things. And now you lose to the Chargers at home. Um, I look at the Raiders, first and foremost, they got to get back to running the football. You bring in Marshawn Lynch and he only gets 13 carries. That's not going to get it done. Right now, I look at this Raiders offense, and there's simply no semblance of order. And, you know, we talked about the defense last year, and they got exposed when uh, Derek Carr got, got injured because they couldn't stop anybody. And now the Raiders really have to figure it out, and they got to figure it out in a hurry, or this season could be ready to slip away from them after, you know, it began with so many high expectations. Now, if you're the Chargers, you're 2-4. and four. You've, now, you've now caught the Raiders for third place in the AFC West. Kansas City lost today. Denver's losing right now to the Giants. You're not out of this. And a break here or a break here or a break there, rather, and the Chargers could be in first place. Remember, you go back to Monday night when they lost on a field goal to the Denver Broncos in week one. You go back to week two, they had an opportunity to win at home versus the Dolphins. 
and a missed field goal cost them that contest. They came back last week to get their first win of the season versus the Giants. They had an opportunity versus the Philadelphia Eagles, and, they, and you know, like they let that game get away from them. So the Chargers, they've been right there. They just haven't been able to seal the deal in each of their contests. But now, you know, this team is beginning to get some confidence. They've bought into what head coach Anthony Lynn is selling, and that is the most important thing for this club. Now, going forward, I'm not going to write them off, but getting back to the Raiders, Oakland really, and I mean really, needs to get their act together and get it together in a hurry. Now, looking ahead to week number seven, for both of these clubs, the Chargers are going to be at home to take on the Denver Broncos, while for the Raiders, they will find themselves at home this Thursday night to take on the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, moving right down the list, you had the 3-2 and two Los Angeles Rams traveling to take on the 3-2 and two Jacksonville Jaguars, and you knew this game was going to come down to the running attacks of both teams as they have two of the better young running backs in the National Football League. Jacksonville has Leonard Fournette, the rookie out of LSU, and the Rams counted with third-year back Todd Gurley out of the University of Georgia. And this game was explosive at the start. As it got started, when Farrell Cooper returned to opening kickoff 103 yards for Los Angeles to give the Rams the 7 to nothing lead. Now, on the ensuing drive for Jacksonville on their first play from scrimmage, Leonard Fournette would scamper 75 yards for the TD to knock the score at 7 apiece. Now, it was 10-7 to in favor of Los Angeles midway through the first quarter when quarterback Blake Bortles connected with Chris Ivory from 22 yards out to give Jacksonville their first lead of the contest at 14-10. to However, that lead was short-lived as just before the first quarter ended, Rams quarterback Jared Goff connected with tight end Gerald Everett from four yards out to give Los Angeles the 17-14 to lead. Late in the second quarter, a blocked punt would be picked up by Malcolm Brown, who ran it back eight yards for the touchdown, and Los Angeles was able to extend their lead to 24-14. Now it was 24-17 to in favor of Los Angeles heading into the fourth quarter, and their running game and their defense were able to put this contest away as Los Angeles went on the road this afternoon and picked up the 27-17 victory. And you look inside of the numbers for this contest, Jared Goff, the young quarterback for the Rams, was 11 of 21 passing for a buck 24 with a TD and no picks while he was sacked three times. But the man of the hour for this Los Angeles offense was Todd Gurley as he had 23 carries for a buck 16. Now, Bleak Bortles was 23 of 35 passing for 241 yards with a TD and a pick, but this Rams defense teed off on him to the point that they sacked him five times. Leonard Fournette was able to keep the Jags in the game with his legs as he had 130 yards on 21 carries, and, of course, he had that big 75-yard run. But I talked about this Rams defense, and they really teed off on the youngster at quarterback today, and Blake Bortles. And like I said before, I knew that this game would come down to the running attacks of both of these teams. For the most part, they're splitting images of one another. And for the Rams offensively, 
they have a different mindset and they have a different mentality under first-year head coach Sean McVay. They've gotten back to the basics. They're running the football effectively, and because of that, they are protecting their young quarterback, Jared Goff. And on top of that, you look at this Rams club. They're getting after people defensively under defensive coordinator Wade Phillips, and he has really helped to change the dynamics of this team. Now, for Jacksonville, these are the type of games that you still have to learn how to win. You went out there last Sunday and you had the big win on the road versus the Pittsburgh Steelers where they simply could not stop Leonard Fournette. You come back home versus in, in front of your home crowd and you can't follow it up. You've had success. Now you have to find a way to build off of that. And Jacksonville, they're still trying to figure out how to get that done. Now, looking ahead to week number seven for both of these clubs, the Rams will be in England to take on the Arizona Cardinals. While for Jacksonville in week number seven, the Jaguars will be on the road to take on the Indianapolis Colts. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, you had the winless Cleveland Browns today traveling to take on the 3-2 and two Houston Texans, and the Browns had an opportunity to get a ringside seat to see what they passed up on twice in the 27 NFL draft in quarterback Deshaun Watson. Now, it was 3-3 three to three late in the first quarter when Watson connected with wide receiver Will Fuller the fifth from 39 yards out and this capped off a quick five-play, 87-yard drive for Houston, and this gave them the 10-3 to lead. Now, Houston was able to extend that lead early in the second quarter when Browns quarterback Kevin Hogan was picked off by Texans cornerback Jonathan Joseph, who ran it back 82 yards for the touchdown, and Houston would extend their lead to 16-3. Now, just before the first half ended, Deshaun Watson found Braxton Miller from a yard out, And after missing the extra point, this time Houston would go for the two-point conversion, and it was successful as they built a 24-3 lead heading to the locker room. Now, early in the third quarter, this game was all but put away as Kevin Hogan was called for intentional grounding in the end zone, which resulted in a safety to make it 26-3. And on the ensuing drive for the Texans, Deshaun Watson found another former Clemson alum and wide receiver DeAndre Duke Hopkins from three yards out to make it 33-3. And Houston would go on the cruise today at home by the score of 33-17. And you look inside of the numbers, John Watson was 17 of 29 passing for 225 yards or three TDs and a pick, while the Texans did have 123 yards on the ground as a team. Kevin Hogan was 20 of 37 passing for a buck 40 with a TD and three picks while he was sacked four times by this vaunted Texans defense. Excuse me. And for me, this is typical Cleveland Browns because you go back to 2016, the Browns passed on quarterback Carson Wentz based off of their analytics. They come back to this year's draft, 
They pass on Deshaun Watson not once, but twice. And then the quarterback that you do take in the second round in Deshaun Kaiser, you've now benched. So I'm looking at it like this. I said it before at the draft, and I'll say it now. Deshaun Watson is a winner. And if you're the Browns, you need guys that are going to go in there and change the culture of your locker room. You don't have that right now. And you look at a guy like Deshaun Watson, his head coach, Bill Bryan, Bill O'Brien is a good guy as far as developing or like working with quarterbacks rather. And, you know, the Texans are able to run the football and they play defense, but they have a culture that is more focused on winning than it is in Cleveland. And I'm not saying the Texans are the top of the line as far as trying to win games. Don't get me wrong, but they are a better organization than the Cleveland Browns. And for the Browns, what can you say? They don't know how to win games in the NFL. And you look at it, they had to fight, scrap, and claw just to get one win last season. And it's looking like that is going to once again be the case right here. You're 0-6. Nobody respects you. Everybody that lines up against you, they, they they anticipate going out there and getting the easy victory. So I really don't know what to say about the Cleveland Browns at this point. They're 0-6, and and like I said, they're going to once again have to fight, scrap, and claw to get themselves a victory here in 2017. Now, you look ahead to week number seven for both of these clubs. Cleveland will be at home to take on the Tennessee Titans, while for Houston, they will enter their bye week on a very, very high note. Now, moving right along, you had the winless San Francisco 49ers traveling to take on the 2-2 two and two Washington Redskins. And I said coming into this contest that Washington was going to have to pack a lunch in order to defeat the Niners, and that's what they, that's what they ended up having to do. Now, <clears throat> the Redskins were able to take the opening kickoff and march down the field on an eight-play, 75-yard drive which is capped off when quarterback Kirk Cousins connected with wide receiver Josh Doxson from 11 yards out to give them the early 7 to nothing advantage. <clears throat> Excuse me. Washington was able to extend that lead early in the second quarter when Cousins found rookie running back Samaje Pirine from three yards out to make it 14 to nothing. Now, it was 17 to nothing late in the first half, and exactly on the last play of the first half, the Niners scored on a one-yard run from running back Carlos Hyde to put them in the contest as they only trailed going to the locker room now 17-7. to Now, it was 17-10 to late in the third quarter when Washington allowed San Francisco to get right back into the game, and Carlos Hyde scored on the second touchdown of the game to not the score at 17 apiece. Now, it was 20-17 to in favor of Washington late in this contest, and they put together a nine-play, 84-yard 84-yard drive, rather, which was capped off when Kirk Cousins called his own number as he scampered seven yards for the TD to make it 26-17 to as place kicker Dustin Hopkins would miss the extra point. The Niners, undaunted, would come right back, and rookie quarterback C.J. Befford found wide receiver Aldrick Robertson from 45 yards out to make it 26 to 24. Now, San Francisco did have an opportunity to win this game. I thought it was a bad pass interference call for offensive pass interference 
on Niners wide receiver Pierre Garcon, and that put the uh, Redskins, uh, pardon me, the Niners rather, in a fourth and 20 situation, and Washington's defense was able to come up and make the key plays, and they would escape today with the 26-24 victory. Now you look inside of the numbers, and the Niners first and foremost decided to bench quarterback Brian Hoyer midway through this contest in favor of uh, rookie quarterback C.J. Beathard, and in relief, Beathard was 19-36 passing for 245 yards with a TD and a pick while he was sacked two times. Now, Kirk Cousins was 25-37 of 37 passing for 330 yards or two TDs and a pick. Now, I will say this. The San Francisco 49ers are 0-6, but it is not for a lack of effort. The Niners have been going out there. They've been fighting, scrapping, and clawing. They lost three. Oh, they lost three consecutive overtime games on field goals, a party by by three points rather. You come back today, and you lose by two points. So they're fighting, and I saw some plays in this contest that are going to help the Niners go forward. I saw rookie, excuse me, defensive end Solomon Thomas like hustling downfield to make tackles. And those plays, they might not show up in the stat sheet overall, but those are those are plays that go to change the culture because you need guys like that in your organization when you're trying to win and you're trying to change how things are in the locker room. And John Lynch, the Niners GM, this was his first choice ever, and he took Solomon Thomas, the defensive end, out of Stanford. And I think that is going to go a long way in helping the Niners change things. They're fighting, scrapping, and clawing, but unfortunately, you know, they keep coming up short. Now, with that said, for the Washington Redskins, I expected this to be a tight game for them coming out of their bye, and I've seen a fight that the San Francisco 49ers have put up this season. So it did not surprise me to see this game be so tight. But at the same time, if you're Washington, you just got to go out there and you got to find ways to win. I mean – if you're looking at it from the NFC East as a whole, the Giants are obviously out of it. I mean, they're winning right now on Sunday Night Football versus the Denver Broncos. But you look at it, and the Philadelphia Eagles are clearly the team to beat in this division. And we don't know what's going to come of this Ezekiel Elliott suspension. And if it's upheld, the Dallas Cowboys are in trouble without him. So if you're Washington, you have an opportunity to try to, you know, sneak into second place within the division and even fight Philly for first place. But on top of that, you know, with the injuries that are piling up in the NFC right now to the quarterback position, if you're Washington, you still got an opportunity to make the playoffs. So, you know, you want to try to get these wins any way possible. And I think this is big for them. And I think this is another opportunity for uh, – for Kirk Cousins to showcase himself. Remember, this is a guy who has the potential to be a free agent in the offseason, and somebody is going to open up the bank for him to their starting quarterback in 2018. Now you look ahead to week number seven for both of these clubs. Washington will be on the road to take on the Philadelphia Eagles, while San Francisco will be at home to host the Dallas Cowboys. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626 626- Two three one zero three zero nine. I repeat, six two six two three one zero three zero nine. And finally, you had the 
three and two Baltimore Ravens hosting the one and four Chicago Bears. And this was going to be the second start for rookie quarterback Mitchell Trubisky on the center for the Bears. Now it was three to nothing in favor of Chicago late in the first half when Zach Miller caught a touchdown pass from Tariq Cohen to make it ten to nothing in favor of the Bears. Chicago was able to extend their lead in the third quarter when Mitchell Trubisky found tight end Deion Sims from twenty seven yards out to give the Bears the seventeen to three lead. However, on the ensuing kickoff Bobby Rainey would return it 96 yards for Baltimore to give them their first touchdown of the game as the score was now 17-10. to It was 17-13 to in favor of Chicago late in the fourth quarter, and Baltimore appeared to be driving for the go-ahead score when Ravens quarterback Joe Flacco was, re- was intercepted by Baltimore native Adrian Amos, who scampered 90 yards for the touchdown, and Chicago was able to extend their lead to 24-13. to Now, after a Justin Tucker field goal made it 24-16, to Baltimore's defense stepped up and gave the football back to their offense. But first, they had the wonderful thing that's known as the punt. And on that punt, Michael Campanero would scamper 77 yards for the touchdown to make it 24-22. to And on the ensuing two-point conversion, Flacco would find tight end Nick Boyle, and the score was knotted at 24 apiece. Now, excuse me, the Ravens had all of the momentum in the world, and they were able to stop Chicago's offense. They got the football back, and they had some bad clock management. They got the ball back with 12 seconds and no timeouts, and they tried a quick pass in the middle of the field to wide receiver Mike Wallace. And, of course, by the time that everybody got lined up, the clock ran out. I bring that up because this game ended up going to overtime. But Justin Tucker, the Ravens' place kicker, has one of the strongest legs in the NFL. Why not uh, go go on a sideline pass? Why and, and give your kicker an opportunity, even if it's from 60 to 65 yards out? He's shown that he has a leg for it. But instead, the Ravens opted to go to overtime, and they would lose late in the overtime session on a Connor Barth 40-yard field goal as Chicago would go on to upset Baltimore at home this afternoon by the score of 27-24. to It wasn't pretty for Mitchell Trubisky, but like I always say, pretty doesn't matter in the NFL. Trubisky was 8 of 16 passing today for a buck 13 with a TD and no interceptions. He was sacked four times by this Ravens defense. Joe Flacco was 24 of 41 passing for a buck 80 with no TDs and two interceptions while he was sacked three times by the Chicago Chicago defense. But the man of the hour today for Chicago was running back Jordan Howard as he had 36 carries for a buck 67. And as a team, the Bears were able to rush for 231 yards, and that was the difference in this contest today. Now, I look at it like this. The Ravens could not stop Jordan Howard. And on top of that, we saw some very, very poor tackling at times from the Ravens today, and that allowed the Bears to extend drives, and that took a lot of pressure off of rookie quarterback Mitchell Trubisky. Now, if you're the Ravens, you're 3-3, three and three, and you should be thankful that you're 3-3 three and three because this team does not have an identity yet. 
we really don't know what the Ravens are going to be. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I say that because they've been inconsistent on offense and they've been inconsistent on defense as well. Your two touchdowns today came from special teams. So I really don't know what we can expect from this Ravens club going forward. I think they have the potential to be up and down again, and for their sake, they're probably just hopeful that Pittsburgh doesn't figure it out themselves and try to run away with the AFC North. On the flip side for the Bears, you know, John Fox, he's got a young team out there in Chicago, and he's he's got a lot of young guys out there in key positions right now, and they're fighting. And they're, they're, they found themselves in every game. And now if you could begin to put together some wins, this Bears team could be dangerous coming down the stretch. You know, I don't, I don't expect them to be a playoff team, but I think they could play spoiler. And I think that momentum could potentially carry over for them to do some big things in 2018. Now you look ahead to week number seven for both of these clubs and for – the Ravens, they will be on the road to take on the Minnesota Vikings, while Chicago will find themselves at home next Sunday afternoon to face the Carolina Panthers. Now, overall, you look at the divisional standings, and New England finds themselves in a familiar position as they're back in first place in the AFC East. They're 4-2, and two, while both the Bills and Dolphins are 3-2, and two, and the Jets are where everybody expected them to be at the beginning of the season. They're in last place. However... The Jets are 3-3, three and three, and they are putting up a tremendous fight. Now, Pittsburgh is in first place in the AFC North with a record of 4-2, and two, while Baltimore is 3-3. Three and three. And don't look now. After the Bengals started off 0-3, they're 2-3, and three, and they are sitting right there amongst the Steelers and the Ravens in contention for this division title. Now, in the AFC South, both Jacksonville and Houston are three and three, and we're going to have a three-way tie for for the top spot in this division after tomorrow night because you have the Titans and the Colts set the meet up tomorrow night in Nashville. Now in the AFC West, Kansas City lost, but they still are in first place in this division. The Broncos are currently losing to the New York Giants, and like I said, the Chargers have caught the Raiders. So like you got two teams right there, two and four. Like I said before, the NFC East right now is Philadelphia to lose as they're five and two. Dallas was off this week with a record of two and three. We got Washington now at three and two, and of course the Giants are winless, but they are winning right now versus the Broncos. You got the Vikings and the Packers, both with a record of four and two, and of course this division has changed now due to the injury to one Aaron Rodgers. Can a team like the Detroit Lions with with a record of three and three step up and take advantage? And for everything that has gone against the Bears so far this season, they're only two games out of first place with a record of two and four. Anything, and I mean anything, can happen in the remainder of the season. Now, Carolina lost on Thursday night at home to the Eagles, but the Falcons lost today as well. And then you have the New Orleans Saints who are sitting right there with a record of three and two. So anything can happen. The Bucks obviously are not out of it either. So this is going to be very interesting for the remainder of the season. You look at the NFC West, and the Rams are still in first place in this division with a record of 4-2. and two. The Seahawks were off today, 
and they have their record of three and two. The Cardinals are right there with a record of three and three. And then, of course, you have the San Francisco 49ers who are still uh, trying to get their first win of the season as the Niners currently find themselves with a record of 0-6. Now, you look at the playoff standings overall, and I want to get things started in the AFC. Now, right now, Kansas City still has a top spot. They're 4-1. They do hold the tiebreaker over New England. However, now Pittsburgh holds a tiebreaker over Kansas City. You have the Jacksonville Jaguars who would get the nod to uh, represent the AFC South in the uh, Super Bowl uh, playoff round, while Denver currently is holding down a fifth playoff spot as the first wild card. That could change if the Broncos were to lose tonight to the Giants, while the Bills and Dolphins are each tied for that last spot with a record of 3-2. and two. You got a few teams at 3-3 three and three in Baltimore, the Jets, and Houston. Now on the flip side, on the NFC side, Philadelphia has the best record in that conference with a record of 5-1. and one. While Minnesota would get the second spot, you have Carolina, who is leading the NFC South, and they would get the three seed, while the Rams would get the fourth seed coming out of the NFC West, while you have Green Bay with the first wild card, while you have four teams tied with a record of three and two, and you're looking at just talking about New Orleans, Atlanta, Washington, and Seattle. But if the playoffs were to begin today, it would be New Orleans who would get the final playoff spot and the NFC. Now, you look ahead to week number seven, and the action begins this Thursday night with an old AFL rivalry, and you're going to have the Kansas City Chiefs traveling to take on the Oakland Raiders. Kansas City takes a defeat today for the first time here in 2017, while the Raiders need, and I repeat, need to figure it out, as after Big 2-0, and they have now lost four consecutive contest. You're going to have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers making their second trip ever to Buffalo to take on the Bills. And if Jameis Winston is out, the dynamic of this game could change because the Bills have a very opportunistic defense and they will look to pin their ears back against backup quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick. You're going to have the 2-4 and four Chicago Bears hosting the 4-2 and two Carolina Panthers. Carolina, of course, lost at home on Thursday night to the Philadelphia Eagles, and they want to try to get back on track, and they want to try to use that extra rest to get a win, but it won't be easy against a very hungry Chicago Bears team. It's going to be the 2-3 and three Tennessee Titans traveling to take on the winless Cleveland Browns, and if you're Tennessee and you can escape without getting any more injuries tomorrow night, you just got to go out there and focus next Sunday afternoon and take care of business early versus the Browns. It's going to be the New Orleans Saints on the road taking on the Green Bay Packers. And right now, New Orleans is a four-point favorite in this game. And obviously, that is due to the injury of one Aaron Rodgers. Now, we know we definitely won't see him under center for this game. But the Packers have to find a way to get everybody else to step up in his absence. You're going to have the Jacksonville Jaguars traveling to take on the Indianapolis Colts. And don't look now because this game could decide first place in the AFC South. Next Sunday afternoon in England, you're going to have the 3-3 three and three Arizona Cardinals taking on the 4-2 and two Los Angeles Rams. And one thing that I'll guarantee is with the Rams back in L.A., I don't see them going to England, at least in being the home team, that much more. 
It's going to be the Jets and Dolphins next Sunday afternoon at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. And for the Dolphins, maybe they found something finally today with their running game. The running game was expected to be a big part of the season for Miami, and they they haven't been able to get it going consistently. But if they can, it could make the production of quarterback Jay Cutler a lot better. Now for the Jets, this is an opportunity for them to still hang around us in this division. And even after the hard luck victory, or loss rather, today at home versus New England Patriots, I still expect the Jets to go out there and give a full effort on the road next Sunday. It's going to be the 3-3 three and three Baltimore Ravens taking on the 4-2 and two Minnesota Vikings. And you look at these two defenses for this contest and for, and for these two clubs, which means that the first team to score 20 points more than likely will win. Now it's going to be the two and three Dallas Cowboys traveling to take on the winless San Francisco 49ers next Sunday afternoon. And for Dallas, they were in their bye here in week number six. And I want to see how this team looks without Ezekiel Elliott at running back. Now, Alfred Morris has shown that he can be a quality back in this league, but he just does not have the same dynamic as Ezekiel Elliott. And I want to see how this Cowboys team is going to be able to respond to that adversity. It's going to be the Seattle Seahawks on the road versus the New York Giants next Sunday. And the Seahawks, of course, have their bye here in week number six. And we talked about all the injuries that the Giants have had to deal with. Will this, on offense, will the Seahawks secondary be able to take advantage of that? It's going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers traveling to take on, or pardon me, hosting rather, the Cincinnati Bengals. And Cincinnati had their bye week here in week number six. And for Pittsburgh, you put together one of your best games of the year today. How will you be able to follow it up? Because that is a thing that we have seen from the Steelers in recent years. They put together a good game, but they simply can't put together consecutive good games. You're going to have the Denver Broncos traveling to take on the Los Angeles Chargers. And don't look now. The Chargers could get on a roll if they finally could win a home game in Carson. Next Sunday night, it's going to be the Super Bowl 51 rematch. You're going to have the Atlanta Falcons taking on the New England Patriots. And I'll tell you like this, when the Falcons go to Boston next weekend, they have to really channel out all of the white noise because you're going to have a lot of people in that area who are not ready to let Atlanta forget about blowing that 25-point lead in the Super Bowl. And finally, on Monday night, you're going to have the Washington Redskins taking on the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think this is a very important game because if Philly wins this contest, they're all but on cruise control for the remainder of the season in the NFC East because this is really the last team that I think that can push Philly. You look at the Giants with the injuries. You look at the Ezekiel Elliott suspension for the Dallas Cowboys. So this is the last team right here that stands between Philadelphia and an NFC East crowd. So that's going to do it for tonight, folks. And as always, I want to take this time out to thank you for tuning into the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge Show here on blogtalkradio.com. Now, I will be back on the air tomorrow night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, and I will be up uh, breaking down the upcoming 2017-2018 NBA season. You can check me out next Sunday night as well at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. As this time, I will be recapping the action from week number seven in the NFL campaign. 
Now, you can continue to check me out on Twitter at 300 Pounds of Sports. And like I always say, if you follow me, it will be my pleasure to follow you right back. Also, there is a Facebook page at 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge. You can check it out, and you are more than welcome to like it as well. You can also check me out on 300poundsofsportsknowledge.com, where I fancy myself as being the total sports package for the total fan. And I just talked about the Philadelphia Eagles. You can check out the piece that I put on about them today, as currently the NFC East is theirs to lose. And you can also check out 300poundsofsportsknowledge.com this week for my NBA projections for the upcoming season. As always, big-time shout-out to 150 Pounds of Sports Knowledge. She knows who she is, and without her, none of this good stuff that you are hearing is possible. And as always, much love to my wonderful daughter, Penelope. This last year has been a great learning process for me, and just to see her grow over this year has been tremendous, and I wish her the happiest of happy birthdays, and I know that many more are on the horizon. So that's going to do it tonight, folks. My name is William Martin. Take care. Have yourselves a wonderful night. And thanks once again for tuning in to the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge Show here on blogtalkradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.